Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The bases dropped on a new edition of soccer down here. It is an overreaction Monday edition on the road. I am still in Charlotte. We'll be heading back here shortly. John is still in Charlotte and has a worse internet than me, it appears. Um, Jarrett is not in Charlotte. He is in the A. And uh, you heard John's thoughts on the salty takeaway last night. Jarrett and I will give you some of ours. We'll try to take some questions as well, but we'll bounce around uh, mostly, of course, with Atlanta United and Charlotte yesterday. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about Manchester City and Liverpool in that instant classic in the Prem. And I'm sure we will get into some other games around MLS, a boatload of goals in Saturday's games, only two in Sunday's game. So plenty of stuff to dig into today. Uh, Jarrett, you were not available for Salty Takeaways. But you are available now, so would you like to give uh, your reactions to yesterday where Charlotte, on an Olympico, beat Atlanta 1-0? Yeah, it's um, it's like I said yesterday, though. I mean, it's um, I need folks to chill out a bit. Just... I, I guess I, I was I was in the camp with a lot of people like, I didn't expect the reaction to be that 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 negative. Damn. Um, because as we've talked about, I said last time when Atlanta beat Charlotte, like Charlotte's getting better every time out. Um, Miguel Angel Ramirez is doing the Lord's work with that roster that is improving um, and is getting performance out of it. And Atlanta was able to, hey, man, look, Atlanta was able to keep Swinerski from going off, which is something they in Philadelphia right now are the only ones that can claim that. Um, you put your three at the back. Do you have so you had one extra with Rios and Swiderski? You played with the man advantage there, so you don't end up with a one on one with somebody. Um, you get beat on a Galipico where uh, Brad Guzan's comments after the game were that the ball kind of sailed on him a bit. I think they, I think he talked about the wind kind of caught it and it just kind of kept carrying. He gets a fingertip to it, I think, and yeah, then it got just it goes in. Um, Otherwise, yeah, you you had a couple moments late where you were kind of you were kind of uh, stretched out because you're chasing it. 
Oh yeah, forget that. But if, if, oh, if yeah, people I, are worked I, up about that, then I'm sorry, you got to learn the game because you're going other, for an equalizer. So yeah, you're going to be stretched. But other than that, um, it felt like Charlotte was asking to be drawn on that game in the second half. Once Atlanta made changes, it felt like to me, it felt like Charlotte was there for the taking. It's disappointing because I think I, I think Caleb Wiley will want his header back. Oh um, yeah, he will. We were um, right behind it that we were that was right in front of us. And I was basically in line with Wiley and where he needed to head it. And I, I was almost jumping when that bounced and fell for him. Um, no, I mean, it's 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 a goal you got to put away. It, yeah. it is. I mean, you know, I, I love Caleb. I love what he's going to be, um, what he's already been at this age. But that's one that you have to put away because that's a point. And it was yeah. there for the taking. It was. Um, he's going to want that back. He will. But you, it, it was one of those situations where, yeah, Atlanta is working with depth pieces in different positions. We've gone over this the last few years. Hell, let's rehash it again because I feel like we have to do this every now and then. Um, we went over this in 2019 when everybody freaked out about Brexhay playing left back so much. He's not playing left back because that's your first choice. He was playing left back because he was depth and he was forced into that role. Same with you Chris can go further back to Chris McCann playing left back, yeah. Um, uh, our Lord and Savior Chris McCann playing yes. left back in 2018. Uh, up until San Jose just absolutely broke him, and that was the end. That was the end of the magic. Um, it was like when the Looney Tunes run out of the uh, Mike's uh, special stuff in the game against the Monsters. Well, it's also Greg Garza coming back too, which helps. Yeah, too. Um, you you keep having the situations where, yeah, I mean, you're you're gonna have guys who are out. Uh, depth pieces are depth pieces for a reason. They are capable of playing at a very high level, but they might not be as clinical in those moments. Uh, Dom Dwyer dragging a shot wide in the first half that yep. you expect Joseph to put that away nine times out of nine. Um, you you know the ball kind of finds the ball kind of finds guys. It happens in baseball a lot where like the ball will find you at the least opportune time and it's going to test you. And sometimes you pass those tests. Sometimes you don't, um, you can be like a Miami who gets a hat trick with, uh, with the hamburger sitting on the sideline. Um, when the opportunity finds them and they take advantage of it, which we'll talk about later today and tomorrow when Dylan comes on, we'll talk about what the hell new England is. That's a different story. Um, yeah, you you had you, you created opportunities. Um, Diago Ambada, if you want to take positives away from it and you know call it what you will, sunshine pumping, whatever. Um, Diago Ambada looks like he is going to be an absolute problem in this league. Yeah, and if I if I can if I can have an offense where to and as I, I referenced this last yesterday it, it, in the sense of classical music, if he can be my composer and uh, Marcelino Moreno can be my concert master working off of him and interchanging and being able to share space and being and working together and finding chemistry. I really like what you have to work with there. Um, but yeah, it's if yeah, if I told you that you were gonna split the two road games, missing a bunch of people in DC and Charlotte, I wonder if people would have taken it, but they would just want it reversed. Like they would have been fine losing to Charlotte losing to DC. But it stings more because it's Charlotte. But you want to grind them out, found the goal late against DC, and you lost on a goal Olympico. It was very beautifully taken. Um, don't know how well he could recreate that, but no, that's what intended. happened. 
no it, it, when it happened i thought i wondered when it happened like is this like when someone like throws a lob in basketball but they throw it too well and it goes in um yes it yeah it's you you lost in a golympico that was that was unintentional it was really cool to watch and it was fascinating and the game was great to watch don't don't yeah. let all that take take away from the fact the game was really fun the game was good um there are just those moments where it fell to you and you did you weren't clinical and that's part of playing on the road in mls playing on the road anywhere but you when those moments fall to you you have to be clinical with them and you've got to put them away it's funny you went with the kind of orchestra description of almada and moreno because juan malio who is the assistant for pep guardiola at manchester city uh, there's a quote that i saw this morning attributed to him and He's one of the the great philosophers in the game. He's been a, a coach on his own. He's a coach who influenced Pep in a lot of ways. Pep went to play for him in Mexico specifically to get that time with him at the very, very end of his career. And now Leo is, is uh, the assistant at Manchester City because Pep wants his brain with him. Leo said that, you know, you can't call it, you can't compare football to an orchestra because you have a competing orchestra. You know, the only way you could do that is if you had another orchestra facing your orchestra playing the exact same piece of music. And that's what's so crazy about this game, because I agree with you. I think it's a great comparison. I think Tiago Almada with six chances created yesterday um, was outstanding. And if if that's sunshine pumping, uh, take it up with what stats are. There, there's nothing you can really get into. Six chances created is six chances created. Uh, it's real. It happened. Um, but yeah, Moreno is more of the soloist. Almada is more of the conductor. He, he delivered that great ball early for Dom Dwyer. He just delivered consistent opportunities for a number of different people. It was a good performance from him. It was a good performance from Moreno. I... I think there has to be some separation in terms of performance and result because in a lot of ways, and I don't know why this is, I don't know if it's the way that the game gets talked about in certain circles. I don't know if it's the way that other sports get talked about. I don't know what triggers it, but you can't control the result always because sometimes a, in-swinging corner ends up in the back of the net. And we'll talk about that. I know a lot of people are, are salty about that one. We'll talk about that here in a second as to how that can happen because in-swinging corners are very different than out-swinging corners, which are very different than set pieces in general. And, and we have to start getting more specific in these things if, if we're going to get into it to that degree. But you can have a great performance and you can lose on an Olympico. You can have a great performance and lose on a deflected goal. You can have a great performance and win five nil. You can control how well you play. And for me, the way I'm judging how well you play is in a few different areas. You know, how much did you control the game? I thought you had more control of this than Charlotte. I think the goal where it happened fed into that to a degree because Charlotte could back off a little bit, didn't have to take control, didn't have to grab the reins as much. That suited them. They were able to press some, but not get crazy with it. They were able to defend a little more with certainty because they got a goal in the 11th. Okay. Atlanta had control of the game. I think the game was played the way Atlanta would have liked. They created chances. They didn't just 
play and had no opportunities to score. They created a ton of chances. They created a ton of shots. You had more shots than teams have on the average. You had more shots on goal than teams have on the average. Teams, not just Atlanta. Teams across the league. Kalina had to make six saves. He had to make a couple of really good ones in the first half. And then you had a couple that were like a foot, two feet, very, very close going wide that didn't force a save, but were were good opportunities. The XG shows you that that Atlanta was good. I don't always buy into the XG, but the XG was very good for Atlanta United. Um, The XG was not great for Charlotte, even though they had a goal, because an Olympico is like a .001 or whatever it is. I don't know. I don't even know if it registers because you don't expect to score from that place. It's a game that's frustrating in the sense that you played well enough to win and you didn't get anything out of it. That part's frustrating. That frustration goes away pretty quickly because the team played well, not at full strength, not even at full strength for what we, ah, as my camera falls down, not even for what we uh, know it can be full strength once it gets everything going again. Sorry, I got a little excited. I think I banged the desk. Um, we know for right for a while we're not going to be full strength with Joseph Martinez. Okay, they were not. They didn't have Luis Adarujo either. You didn't have Mateus Hosechu either. You're getting Emerson Hindman back. So full strength is going to be a fluid term for a while. Get used to that. What did we learn yesterday that I think carries forward? Um, in my mind, Ronaldo Cisneros is the best fit for this team up top. Uh, his pace opened up more space for Tiago Almada, more space for Marcelino Moreno, give him more than a few days of training. And I think he is your starter up top in place of Joseph Martinez right now. And it's nothing, it's nothing against Dom Dwyer because Dom put himself into some good positions. Dom battled yesterday. Dom can still be very useful for this team. But I think the way that the team is currently playing and with Moreno and Almada, and I don't think that dramatically changes when Araujo comes back into it. Dwyer and, and Joseph, because Dwyer's playing a lot like Joseph in terms of trying to drop in, trying to combine, trying to be a little bit of that target forward at times, a pivot point to be able to combine and then turn and run. Cisneros isn't doing that. Cisneros is staying up high. He's looking to get in behind. He's got the pace to get in behind. Good grief, that guy's fast. He opens up more space because he doesn't come back into the space. Joseph can combine. Look, Joseph is a better technical player than Dom Dwyer, in my opinion. So when Joseph drops in, he can hit that one-two and go. And we've seen it over the years, many times, before he had the knee injury. You saw it go back to the goal in uh, Philadelphia. Well, yeah, that one. Uh, I was thinking the second. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking the second leg against Monterey, then in Nagby. Um, he can combine and give those one twos. Dom's not quite as strong in that area, but when, and when Dom is dropping in and he's not as strong in combining, he's taking up valuable space that you need Almada and Moreno to be able to occupy and use and work together. They can combine. And we saw that to great degree yesterday. Cisneros opens the field. So I think one, what I learned is I think Cisneros is going to be the guy going forward. Um, what I'm wanting to find out more of is kind of what is the, the setup going to be most likely 
is it going to change because Joseph is out or because Araujo's out? Does it change when you get some guys back? Um, or is it going to mix and match based off the opponent? Look, it was a safe bet that Charlotte was going to play two up top. They've won their three games that they played two up top. They haven't won when they haven't played two up top. I thought Daniel Rios did a lot of thankless work yesterday and was really good. Swiderski needs him. So they need to play with two up top. I think Pineda expected it. He played three center backs. Okay. Is that specifically because of Charlotte playing two up top? Because I think it worked. Or is that what he felt was most comfortable with the other absences without Hosechu in that midfield being the the partner for Alonso or for Sosa? And you're missing Ozzy Alonso too. We haven't mentioned him yet. Um, that's another, you know, it's a different personality of the group. Did Pineda feel that playing Campbell in the back versus playing Sadich deeper or playing Ibadara from the start, did he feel that gave the team more security or was it because Charlotte played two up top? We'll have to see a few more games to get a sense of that. I, I don't care either way, honestly. I, I think there's a lot of hangups from, from people maybe about Pineda now, which is crazy to me when you look at his record since he got here and you look at what he's done and the things that people will say positively about him. And then when there is a negative result, not negative play or poor play, a negative result, it all changes. Like With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's just, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Nothing's changed about Gonzalo Pineda and uh, his quality of coaching at all. Go ahead, Jerry. I will say that I've seen a couple of people talk about it and I agree. It's um, that Gonzalo Pineda is still learning how to do this job as a full coach because as a full-time head sure. coach, because you're always learning though. Yeah, exactly. You're always learning how to, you're always learning and you're getting a different group of guys every week right now because of the injuries and he's learning what's going to work best for the guys he's got, how he wants to make decisions. Um, I, for as I don't much think crap, got anything wrong yesterday, Jared. No, not necessarily. No, I don't either. Um, but for like, for instance, for as much crap as uh, as Frank DeBoer got in Atlanta, um, Frank DeBoer was the master of the past 45 minutes. Hey, the game, we thought the game was going to be this. Mm-hmm. Now it's going to be this. Uh, I thought he was one of the best in the league when he was here at making the changes in the middle of the game. I've lost yeah. track how many times when in 2019 where either game was even or Atlanta was, t- it was tilted against Atlanta where Frank DeBoer made changes and it was the right button to push. And that's, it's tough. Like you don't just become a coach and magically learn how to do that. But, but no, no, no. I, I also want to make it clear that if you don't do that, you're not a good coach. No, that's not true either. Um, 
coaches have different abilities. Coaches have different things that they are good and and not as good at. Uh, Frank DeBoer excelled in in figuring those things out, and he did it from the start too. And look, you can you can like or not like Frank DeBoer, and and I feel like some people still hold stuff from that time and compare it to now, and it's not the same at all. Frank DeBoer tactically was very good. And I'm talking tactically game to game, not talking philosophical, philosophical way of setting up the team, which is in general, which I didn't have a problem with either, by the way, but I'm talking tactics game to game. Go back to the end of the 2019 season where he go, he drops pity against new England because it was the right way to play against new England in the last game of the regular season and the first game of the postseason, where you played them back to back, separated by a couple weeks. Same lineup, didn't play Pitti from the start. It worked because it dealt with them. Switched it up to a four man back line and Pitti back in the team against Philadelphia. Pitti was brilliant. Mikey Ambrose came back to play left back because you didn't have another one available, but it was the right way to play. Mikey had been playing for the twos. Great performance. You get it done. That was a very bold move. And it worked. You have to to play to your strengths. I think what Gonzalo Pineda is strong at is he is very strong at building a feel within the team. I think he is a a great man manager. I think he's doing a a very good job there. I think he's very good at at the, the philosophical side of how he wants this team to play, how he wants them to be protagonists. Not as hung up on pure possession number, but wants possession because he wants to control the game with the ball. I, I think Gonzalo is doing a very good job and the record backs it up. That's the other thing is like, if, if we're going down that road, I mean, you got to look at the record and, and then explain it to me because I don't get it. Um, big, bigger picture here. And, and then I want to talk just a little bit about the experience yesterday and just everything in Charlotte. And we'll try to get some questions as well. And, and, and John hasn't spoken yet. I hope his internet's good. Is it good, John? I hope so. They found the mute button. No, it sounds clean. Good. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it was uh, trying to figure things out and switching a couple of buttons up, but hopefully everything Hopefully. Hopefully. Fingers everything. crossed. Fingers crossed. Okay. Um, again, performance and results are two different things. Performance was good yesterday from both teams. Uh, the, the goal where it happened changed the game. I loved calling that game. Um, it was a lot of fun. I thought it was a very good, well-played game, exciting, good display for the national TV audience, all that stuff that doesn't really matter when you're Better talking Better than the nightcap was. Jesus. I didn't watch that. It's probably a good thing. Um, it was. That's good. It was, uh, it was good, and it was not what Atlanta wanted because you wanted to get the three points against this team. They are a rival now. Deal with it. I, I don't know why the, the rival police get hung up on saying the word rivalry. I'll say it 25 times today if I have to. It's a rivalry. That's a good thing. Charlotte does not like Atlanta United. They made that clear on day one. Atlanta United doesn't like Charlotte FC either. That's fine. I think it's two teams on the field that respect one another. It's two coaches who greatly respect one another. Um, it's two very good coaches. And it's going to be spicy. Good. Good. These are good things. When when games have more feeling to them, it's a good thing. It's not anything to be worried about. Uh, the experience was great. Great stadium. First time I'd ever been in the stadium. I'd never been up here for a, a, another game or event or anything like that. Um, 
really easy in terms of getting in and out, great broadcast position, everybody that, that I dealt with, which wasn't many people because it was actually really smooth and seamless to, to deal with everything. Everybody I dealt with was great. Um, it's great to see Will and Jess before the game. Um, Jess might have talked a little bit of trash in my text afterwards. That's okay. She deserved it. Um, just wait till November. Yeah, oh, no, no. Wait no, till November. It, wait till well, November. There's no wait. It's going to be continuous. Jared, what are you talking about? Wait. What? It's going to be a continuous. Like, I'll give her a day because her team won here. But, yeah, the, the trash talking is going to immediately start about U.S. and England. Come on. Um, no, it was a fun experience. Um, I definitely recommend coming up to a game. It was very loud in there. I think my experience of it is maybe a little skewed because the PA speakers were right above our location and pointed down. And it was very loud in pregame and very loud whenever the speakers were used uh, to the point that after I took my headphones off after the game, I couldn't hear for a couple seconds. It just felt like a wall of noise. But um, it was a, a, a good, good game when you take the result out of it for a second. It was a good display. It was a great day for Charlotte. It's a day that Atlanta will want to get revenge for. See them next year. Deal with that. Um, who knows? Maybe see them in the postseason. I don't think they make it. I don't. But Miguel Angel Ramirez is, is pushing the right buttons right now and getting out of his comfort zone because he's not a 4-4-2 guy. He's not a 4-4-2 diamond guy. And he's not playing the diamond like you see the diamond played for Philly or for other teams. It's, it's nothing like that. That's why formations can get overrated when we talk about them as defining tactics. Uh, Miguel's 4-4-2 diamond is completely different than the others. And it's working for them right now. Now, you're about to get Josiak, the Polish winger. I believe he's actually in Charlotte now. Um, you are going to get other wingers, I would hope. I hope they remember that that's a position you need to fill. And then Ramirez will have more options. But he's shown an ability to find what works. And just like I said about Pineda being a great man manager, I think Ramirez is. I really do. And I think he's got a team that believes in everything he wants to do. So a uh, good rival to have, uh, a good test every time you're going to see these guys and a game that'll mean a little bit more, especially now after Charlotte gets their first win over Atlanta um, in their second game. If ahead, you want oh, oh, no, to finish. Okay. If you want to break it out and get rivalry specific with it, Hey, uh, both teams won their home games by one goal, one on a deflected goal, the other one on an accidental goal. Olympico. It's pretty fun. They can both trash talk about it. And yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll kind of stew for a while. Charlotte go while, while you have this moment to stew, I invite you to direct your spite towards, uh, towards Nashville and Orlando. They don't want to feel left out either. Um, all of I don't these think Charlotte's stewing, Jared. I think Charlotte's probably uh, happy these days. Why would they be stewing? Probably a little bit. Yeah. Oh, they'll get they'll get mad. That's okay. I want them to get, I want well, them I mean, to get mad at Orlando and Nashville. Give it, give it an hour or two, and Charlotte will get salty about something. We know that's coming. I mean, they'll they'll yeah. be tweeting as, about as it. Coco talked about it. It's I mean, Charlotte as a whole doesn't like Atlanta. It's not just soccer; it's the city. There's, yeah, exactly. Well, that's where it all started from. Yeah, it's it's this whole citywide thing. It and it's yeah. a different hate. Like, Coco's in Louisiana. He understands. Like it's a different yeah. type of hate than like Atlanta, New Orleans. Again, put an MLS team in New Orleans, and I'll show you what hatred is. Don't talk to me about El Tráfico being the best rivalry in MLS. Miss me with all of that hold, hold, absolute hold, 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 garbage. Hold, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. I think these are very different things, Jared. Because I think Charlotte 
as a city, take sports out of it for a second, has a rivalry with Atlanta. I don't think New Orleans as a city has a rivalry with Atlanta. I think Falcons and Saints have a great rivalry and they hate one another. I don't think Atlanta and New Orleans hates one another outside of that. It'll carry over. But Atlanta and Charlotte, before you even got on the field, you had like, well, you had David Tepper, but you also had like campaigns in Charlotte support about never Atlanta, always bad about Atlanta, everything about Atlanta is bad. And it was about the city before it even got to the field. I don't know how Atlanta New Orleans would be. New Orleans isn't coming into MLS, so we can we can leave that fantasy to the side. Nobody wants to start a team there. Sorry, it just hasn't Always happened. It's a pity, but you're right. Yeah, it's not happening. So, I mean, I, I don't really care. I don't think New Orleans as a city hates Atlanta. I think Saints fans hate Atlanta Falcons. I think Charlotte as a city really doesn't like Atlanta. Yeah. And, okay, that's fine. Um pat you on the head little brother and have a good time i mean i don't know what else to say like atlanta's a bigger city and charlotte's and their feelings about that and the teams it's kind of the same mirror of that isn't it you know charlotte's brand new of course they're smaller than atlanta united they're brand new they just started okay they're gonna compare themselves to the big boys down the road they gotta win they're gonna be loving it and they're gonna be talking all kinds of trash about it and it's a rivalry and that's good it's fun for the league it is fun for the league. It's a good thing. And if Charlotte has other rivals, cool. If they don't, well, then that's on Charlotte because that's that's them. Atlanta's going to have other rivals, and that's the club that Atlanta United is. And it's just it's just different things, and that's okay. Like, Charlotte is Charlotte, and they need to focus on Charlotte now. They're not going to play Atlanta again, so they can stop comparing everything to Atlanta United and getting bent out of shape about anything Atlanta United says. And they can focus on themselves. And they've got something really good here. It was very cool after the game to see so many people walking around as I was waiting forever for an Uber. Um, it was a crazy day with that. Uh, so many people walking around with Charlotte gear and, and hanging out. It was very, very cool to see soccer in our overall region have such a good day yesterday. Um, okay. That was the intro to this this series in Charlotte. That's great. From now on, it is going to be about the games on the field, and it's going to have spice to it. It was good. It was very good. You know, definitely a good day for the southeastern footprint. When you talk about the the newest franchises in Major League Soccer, and yes, I know I'm going back, you know, five, six, seven years. You're looking at Nashville. You're looking at a new stadium there. You're looking at the investment that's being made in that market. With Atlanta and Charlotte, you're seeing uh, the new South and the newer South, depending on which city you're referencing it from. And you see the successes of Atlanta United, and you're looking at what's been going on with Charlotte. So you're seeing things here in the Southeast growing and making statements on a national stage within Major League Soccer. And there's a lot to be proud of here in the Southeast. And, you know, since you and I, Jason, are in Charlotte, I mean, you you can't – yesterday, you couldn't – I mean, hours after the match, folks are still downtown, they're wearing their Charlotte gear, and they're making a lot of noise. And so, uh, you know, you tip your hat to them for what happened yesterday. You got the win. It was a great match. And it's just part and parcel to what we're seeing with the growth of the sport here in the Southeast. So what I will ask, um, because I'm sure we've got questions in the, the Twitch pitch to, to jump around with, but what I will ask people who are 
yelling right now because I'm not breaking things about a loss to Charlotte. What upset you so much about yesterday? For people who are upset, what was it? Because I, I see, you know, comments and, and and things, and I've had things sent to me about how bad Atlanta played. What was so bad about how Atlanta played? Because I, we talked about this last week about kind of, I think we were talking about fact and not fact or narrative or whatever. This team's been around a long time now. Got a lot of games under our belts that we've talked about. Yeah, I I want more than just good, bad, loss, angry. I want more than that in the discussion. I'm not going to feed you junk food in the discussion, okay? I'm not going to feed you, you know, they lost, so it's bad, and they can't win MLS Cup. It, they're bad. They're not going to make the playoffs because they lost. I'm not going to feed you that kind of stuff. That's not going to happen on soccer down here. Um, if that's what you want, then I, I mean, go for it. Go, you can find it. It's there. It's, it's not hard to find. I'm not going to feed you that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask, okay, you're not happy about yesterday. What are you not happy about? And we can talk about it because that's productive. Talking about a game that was very even, talking about a game where Atlanta United had, I think, 16 shots, uh, created, I think, 13 chances, had six on target, uh, XG over one. I mean, all, all the things that you can go into to say that, yeah, they didn't play like crap. But if you feel like they played like crap, what makes you feel that way so we can talk about it? Now, again, also, I want to make this clear, and this is just stuff that, look, I guess it's just stuff we got to we got to set some ground rules and, and some, some kind of guiding principles here. I, I want to hear what is upsetting people. I want to hear what they're angry about. But that doesn't mean I'm going to drop how I feel about the game after decades and decades of work in it and studying it and being involved in it and, and doing all of everything I do at this level. I'm not going to drop how I feel about something because somebody else feels differently. I want to hear why, and I'll tell you how I feel. And if we disagree, that's okay. That's okay. But that's much more productive of a discussion than lost bad, team stinks, everybody's terrible, they can't win. That doesn't, what does that actually do? Where is it, where is something to talk about in that? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
there's nothing. <laughs> you, you can't have a discussion on that. There, there's nothing to have. So let's try to have productive discussions, wins and losses. Because just because they win if they play badly doesn't mean you're going to win MLS Cup and you're the greatest team ever and all those things either. The result and the performance are two different things. Obviously, good performances more often than not result in wins. But you can win playing badly and you can lose playing well. You have to separate the two. I don't like the result, obviously, duh. But I'm not angry about the way that they played and what they produced in the game itself. I'm not angry about it. Are there things that can be better? Yeah, every team can say that. Manchester City and Liverpool had a classic that everybody is saying, this is why people watch the Premier League. And yeah, it is. Not every game's like that, but yes. Are there things that Pep and, and Klopp are going to look at and say, man, we could have done better here? Yeah. Because that's the game. That's what we love about it, right? It's not straight lines. It's not do this, do this, win, guaranteed, game over. No. It's sometimes you do those things and you lose. Sometimes you don't do those things. You can't do anything well and you win. Like that's, that's why we keep coming back, right? So let's have those discussions rather than just every time there is a loss, bad, burn it down, everybody fired, everything sucks, we can't win again. Like, and if, if you know people who do that or whatever, look, fans do that sometimes. Just because fans are passionate doesn't mean that's a reasonable response. So have the conversation. Try to make it real. Let's talk about it. Let's grow with how we talk about games across the board. You know, I, I'll give you an example. I was really concerned after the game yesterday because I talked about the referee a good bit in the game. I wanted it to be clear that I'm not just a referee bad, team lost, referee bad, that's why. I, no, it wasn't like that at all. I thought Alan Chapman was inconsistent. I thought he used his cards very poorly. And I thought he called the game differently in the second half versus the first. The foul count backs that up, where the cards were thrown backs that up. Um, and it was very different than it was last week. Armando Villarreal, and this is this is what it, what why persistent infringement is a point for me. Go back to last week in DC. Armando Villarreal throws yellow cards after, and and Jeff and I calling that game were a little bit like, okay, hey, he's got to go to the book here. Hey, he's got to go to the book here because this is very clearly a tactic from DC to break up the play in the middle third. He was warning. He was doing what he's supposed to do. Maybe he set the bar a little bit higher than you would have liked. Okay, that's fine. It's his prerogative. But he went to the book on Canals. He went to the book on Jafal, the two holding midfielders. Gave them yellows in the 30s in terms of minute marks. I think 32 and 38. They had to play the rest of the game differently. They had to back off a little bit. They couldn't just whack people in the middle third. Game changed. Atlanta was able because they had earned these fouls. It's not like the fouls just happened out of thin air. They earned them. They were able to play differently because they couldn't just get kicked all day at midfield. This game didn't go that way. Alan Franco consistently kicked Tiago Almada from behind as he was receiving the ball. Consistently. Uh, Christian Fuchs consistently forearmed to the back of Dom Dwyer, shoved him twice. I mean, forearm extended. Didn't even get a foul called. 
when those things happen, and, and what I said going into halftime was, look, Alan Chapman's going to be the referee in the second half. Atlanta has to figure out how to play in the game that they're playing today because they're not going to get these calls. Well, the second half, the calls changed. <laughs> but by then, when you start, by, if you start then calling fouls, and you start setting the bar for persistent infringement, then you're throwing yellows in the 75th minute, in the 80th minute. They're meaningless. They do nothing really to change behavior. They change it for just a little bit of time. Go back to the week before. Canals and Jafal had to play a lot longer in a very different manner. It was very inconsistently refed yesterday. Did it affect the game? No, it didn't affect the, the way the outcome went. Did it affect the way the game played out? Yeah, to a degree because Charlotte was able to be very physical. Atlanta's not a very physical team in those kinds of spots, so they're not a team with how they started that's going to take advantage of very loosely called game. Uh, Franco Ibarra came in and kind of changed a little bit of that because he started kicking some people too, because that's what he likes to do. Um, and he got a pretty quick yellow for it, which <laughs> didn't make a lot of sense in the way the game had been called. But I did not want it to come across as team lost, referee missed a call, whatever, referee bad, that's why everything was, was bad. No, I wanted to explain what I liked or didn't like about the referee, what specifically my problem was. All the physicality that he allowed, you can go back and look at the play before the corner. I thought Alan Franco was fouled. Uh, I thought Daniel Rios yanked him down and, and committed a foul. It shouldn't have been a corner. It was. It ends up in the back of the net. Those things happen. That's part of the game. You know, I don't like it. I would have loved for that to have been called differently, but that's going to happen from time to time. I'm not, it, it, you can't get hung up on little calls like that. I'll get hung up on a penalty if I like it or don't like it. I'll get hung up on a red card if I like it or don't like it. But calls in a game, yeah, it led to something that maybe shouldn't have even happened. Whatever. The pattern of the way the game was called yesterday was my biggest issue. It was different in minute one to 45 and 46 to 90. It was not like it was last week. It, it's just, it's something that you can look at the numbers going back. And I, I shared it with uh, these guys and I didn't even really get a chance to talk about it yesterday because of the way that Chapman called it. But Atlanta United since 2019 fouled 20 or more times in a game 11 times, by far the most in MLS. The second most fouled, times fouled 20 or more in a game is five since 2019. Atlanta's been fouled 20 or more times 11. You can argue about, oh, well, they dive. They get, that's why they get these calls. Or you can argue that, well, maybe there should have been even more calls. Either way, with that much information, it is clear that there is a tactic to play against Atlanta United, to break up transition, to break up possession, foul, 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 especially in the middle third. You see some teams who are not savvy about it. You see some teams who are good at it. It's an issue. And when it's called inconsistently in the same league by Armando Villarreal and Alan Chapman, it can be very hard sometimes. Because that's a wild swing. Sometimes you have to adjust to the referees. Every referee has their own way of calling it. But man, like calling it tight and actually employing persistent infringement versus not calling it tight. And I thought he had left his yellow cards in the locker room. That's like two different worlds. So that was where I was with that. But I, I, 
got a chance in the full time report, I think, to explain it in more detail, like I just did. And that's what I want to get out of the discourse around soccer in our region and just in general. One, we have the time. <laughs> We're doing this every uh, every day for a couple of hours and we can go deeper into stuff. That gives us a little more of an advantage. But it can't just be hot takey yelling, burn everything down, or they're going to win every game going forward the rest of the way. We can go deeper. We all have learned about the game over these six years that Atlanta United's existed, over the six years that we've been doing the show. I know more about the game now than I did then. I think I'm a much better commentator now than I was then because I've had experience and I've thought about different things and I've seen different things and things I've seen have challenged me to learn more. We can all work at learning more about the game and going past the gut reaction of good, bad, angry, happy. We can do that, I think. Can we, Jared? Is that possible? I think so. I think so. I, I don't know so, but I think so. Um, if nothing else, we talk through it. We'll keep trying. We'll keep trying. Look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an optimist. I'm a glass half full guy. You guys know that. I am a, I'm a sunshine pumper. What can I say? So we all yeah. are. No, 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 John. No, no, no. Don't even try to jump on that train because everybody tags me with it. I'm the, the one that they yell at for being a sunshine pumper. You guys, I think they, they call you different things. They don't call you a sunshine pumper. They call me the sunshine pumper and, and a bully because I guess I'm bullying them into me. I generally, I generally get DJ references personally, but that's just me. No, that's just you. Yeah. That's just you, yeah. Jared. And that's, that's accurate. I, I, I think I jumped on board with that one pretty fast because I thoroughly agree with it. Um, anyway, that's where we are today. Uh, great day outside of the result yesterday in terms of the atmosphere, the experience. It was loud. It was crazy. It was good. Um, good things on the field for both teams, some things both teams need to work on. The result goes Charlotte's way off an Olympico. We got plenty to talk about. I'm sure people have things they want to talk about because we've been talking for about 49 minutes, so or less than about 44 minutes. So what do we have, John? I'll, I'll start with the stuff that was last night in the salty that's related to what you were just discussing, and it comes from Soccer for Good OG. Okay, and yeah, I'm going to ask you to maybe jump around a little bit because mm-hmm. if people want to talk about what I said last let's not wait till right. 10 50 to come back to it because right. we should go into everything else. i've got it queued i've got that stuff queued yeah. up as you're, well you're gonna put you to work a little bit today john to bounce I'm around working, working both devices there you go so uh soccer for good ogs then asked last night she goes how does atlanta united deal with other teams brutalizing them with the apparent blessing of pro clearly trying to play their game only results in atlanta united getting fouls called against them do we need a hatchet man nasty lessons big hairy chip on our shoulder formal complaints what um I mean, formal complaints, I don't think you're doing anything because I know there's been conversations about it. Um, I don't think that's changing anything. Um, I think it should. Uh, I'm not going to stop talking about how I'd much rather see refereeing in this country uh, not protect at the expense of going after physical players, but protect skilled players. I think you you should want the game to be more free-flowing and want the ball in play and want players to not be allowed to kick others out of the game. I mean, and this has been an ongoing conversation in this game. It's not new to Atlanta. Uh, it was a huge conversation after the 1982 World Cup where Diego Maradona was uh, mauled 
by Claudio Gentile of Italy um, to the point that people pointed that out specifically and said, yeah, we can't allow that kind of defending anymore. And it opened up some and then it didn't. And it got more defensive again. And it got more physical. And you, know, you go back to Maradona, kicked all over the fields in Italy as well. Um, he's not the only one. I mean, we've watched Messi get kicked a lot. We've watched Ronaldinho get kicked a lot. It happens. I would like the overall refereeing in this league to be, if you want to say slanted, if you want to use that in a negative connotation, that's fine. I'd like to see it slanted more towards skill players being allowed to do what they do. Um, How do you deal with it in terms of it's not going to change overnight? It's not a pro thing either, like as an agenda. I I want to be, I want to make that clear because again, last week shows you that it wasn't Armando Villarreal did not call it that way at all. Those early yellows changed the game. That's what I want to see if that's how teams are going to play. If they're going to be physical, cynical, break up the transition, they have to be called, set the bar wherever you want. I don't know if it's three fouls, four fouls. If you want to set a number on an individual, if you want to make it a team thing, where you want to warn, then where you want to go to the book, wherever you want to do that, that's up to you as a ref. But you have to do it at some point. You have to, if teams are going to play that way. If you just ignore it, then it it does create an advantage one way and a disadvantage the other. Uh, I think we have to keep talking about it. I think people in this country as fans, whether you're a longtime fan, whether you're a fan from Latin America, whether you're a fan from Europe, whether you're native born and just have started consuming the game in different ways, we get more excited about positive attacking plays than great fouls. So we should want those to happen. So the refereeing needs to, in, in my opinion, display that. It has to show that. Um, can you get more physical if teams, or if you're going to be allowed to play that way? Yeah, you can. And, and I think somebody like Franco Ibarra can be that when he is on the field. I think Ozzy Alonso could have been that if he had been on the field more. I think Santi Sosa needs to get a little bit of a mean streak at times. Um you have to try to, if, if that's the way the game's going to get played, then yeah, you have to try to do that yourself. And yeah, I do feel like at times when Atlanta does do that after they're not allowed to play their game or they're fouled a lot and yellow cards aren't thrown, that Atlanta gets quick yellows. And then I'm, I'm making a complaint every single time. We just have to keep talking about it and working at it because it is a point of emphasis that has been talked about in pro and it hasn't changed anything yet, Jarrett. And We're seeing some referees who call the game tighter and go to the book more. I don't necessarily need a foul count to reflect the quality of the refereeing, but persistent infringement in these kinds of situations has to be a greater priority and it has to be talked more and it has to change in my opinion. It does. um, At the very least, and you don't even have to throw cards around. I've seen plenty of games where they're not throwing cards around, but you get a ref who knows how to communicate and even over-communicate at times. Good point is, you know, hey, somebody's throwing fouls around. They don't have to necessarily throw in cards, but you're pulling guys aside and talking to them and explaining where they're at, where they are on the line at the moment, talking to the team that's being fouled, saying, I've got it under control, back up. I'm talking to them. I'll talk to you when you commit fouls too. And yeah, communicate. Let people know where it stands because I think one of the things that you get those situations and, you know, I think – I think Dallas is starting to live this life more now with Al Blasco getting kicked all over creation is you're seeing guys get kicked. Then you get frustrated 
you kick out as well. And the ref's like, well, that's a yellow card because yeah. that was a much more aggressive foul than the than the tactical ones that, that have been going so far. But that communication from an official, even if it's not a card, just like letting people know where they stand on the line. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It, I think it goes a long way to calming everyone down and keeping keeping cooler heads. Here's the other thing is when you get more teams that are trying to play attack-minded soccer with the ball, you're going to get more teams that are going to get treated this way like Atlanta has been since 2019 and honestly before that. Charlotte's going to get it. At some point, Swiderski is going to get knocked around. I'm sure. Um. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not the same thing, and and it's not just any attacking player getting kicked. Your forwards don't get kicked the same way. Joseph doesn't get kicked the same way. It, it's it's in the midfield specifically. It's Almada. It's Moreno. It was Barco. It's Velasco. It's Zellerayan. It, it's those kinds of guys. It's not the forward because they don't have as many touches, Jared. So they're not going to get fouled in the same way. For Charlotte, I mean, I don't know who that's going to end up being. Ben Bender could be one who gets some of that. Um, Alan Franco could get a taste of his own medicine a little bit when he's on the ball more. We'll have to see how Charlotte evolves. But it's not fouling the forward. I, I, I got to be super specific about it. Where these fouls are happening that aren't being treated in the right way, it's in the middle third, it's in transition moments or build-up moments, and it is specifically designed to break up that attack. If you have to foul the forward, then you've already blown it. It's fouling the midfielders and the creators. That's a different thing. And that's gotta that's gotta change. It's not fouling forwards. That's not the same thing. I think that generally is handled okay. It's the the creators that are being fouled in the middle third, getting into the final third, that it's being it's happening consistently around the league, but Atlanta's played this way. And look, maybe that's why some people don't like the way that Atlanta plays. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I like it. I like guys on the ball. That's what I want to see. But when you do that in this league, you're inviting more fouls. And Atlanta has been the team that's been fouled the most. And it's just it's something that's got to change. But more teams playing that way, more teams having the conversation, that'll be good. Uh, y'all can have a conversation without me for a bit. I will be back in the second hour, okay. but um, but I will dip out. Uh, there have been complaints for you to discuss the end of the twos game. You can do that without me if you'd like. Oh, um, uh, I want to get my piece in that, hey, the twos were not good in the first no, half. Jack Collison was very, was very clear about that and did not pull punches at all. Yeah. The end of that game was yeah, the hot mess. We can talk about that in a bit. I'll be back. Y'all talk yeah. about that or talk about whatever you want. Yes. Bye, Jared. See ya. Bye. Why'd you say it like that? That was weird. Because he's coming back.
It was, it's just, no, it was the tone. It it sounded very strange. Anyway, um, why don't you, while we have a little bit of a breaking point here, and Mm -hmm. I'm going to feed you something different because I don't have my normal setup, but I do have access to something. Um, Why don't we see how this goes? And why don't you tell everybody about our good friends, Eliminize, right now? Eliminize Service, proud sponsors of everything soccer down here. And since I'm in Charlotte, I do not have. QR code over my left shoulder for those of you watching on Twitch Rotor Free Clinton Fresh Air. One place that you need to go. It's Eliminize Service. Realtors and property managers use it to make sure that their problems are eliminated when it comes to odor free, clean, fresh air. And it's a turnkey process for said realtors and property managers to make it easier for them with their facilities so they can be turned and end up with new sets of individuals. It is different than our favorite masking agents because those masking agents that we have under the sink, all they do is mask the problem. They just mask the odor. They do not attack the problem like Eliminize Service does with their proven formula to attack problems down to the molecule. Pricing can be done one of two ways, either by the cubic foot or parts per million to make sure it is an affordable price for you to attack your problem. So if you're looking for Eliminize Service to take care of things in your home or in your business, you can go to their website, E-L-I-M-I-N-I-Z-E.com, but do us a favor, after the .com, go slash Atlanta so they know what part of the world that you are talking to them from, Eliminize.com slash Atlanta for odor-free, clean, fresh air, Eliminize Service, proud sponsors of everything, SDH. StreamYard has added background music as an option, so... Cool. Yes, I uh, decided to try that. It took a minute for it to get going, but maybe that will be your new background music. We will see. I think that you're going to try and find different background music every day to to try to uh, twist the reed to whatever emotion is being exuded by the music. No, because I could play the same one back to back and you wouldn't realize that it's new background music like you did last last week. week? Yeah. Yeah. Um, quickly, the, uh, the the twos. Yeah, the twos didn't play well at all. Detroit was very good. Um, the end of the game was beyond bonkers, the way it was handled by the referee. And like, it's a huge learning experience for that referee. I believe it was his first game in USL championship. I couldn't find a record of him calling another game um, at the pro level, period, in, in USL championship or League One or anywhere else that I could find tracked. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was good up until the end. Uh, the the penalty that could have been called for Darwin Mateus, it's a judgment call. I thought it was a push in the back. I thought the replay showed that there was enough contact for that to be a, a penalty. But it's a judgment call. That's fine. Um, goes the other way. Detroit scores a fourth. Very quick hook for Darwin on a red card. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, going watching it and then going back and looking at it again, he might have said five words. I mean, it was a sentence. Maybe it was very fast. And if if he said something that deserved the red, then he'd said something that deserved the red. Uh, but it felt very quick and out of place for where that situation would be. Because as a referee, look, you you know, not all calls or no calls are created the same. And at that point in the game, if it gets to 3-1, could it be a wild finish? Yeah, it could be. Um, it's not likely, but it could be, you know, that players are going to be frustrated when the call doesn't go their way. Does it actually help the game 
to send him off there if he didn't say something that you had to send him off for. I don't know. I don't know what he said. Anyway, that happened. Okay, whatever. That's fine. It's a it's a decision that I don't like, but whatever. The thing that kicked it up to a whole nother level was bad refereeing in the first place because, and it compounded what happened earlier. Nigel Prince goes in straight red challenge. It, it's a straight red. It should have been a straight red immediately and none of the rest of it would have happened. It should have been a straight red. He goes in very aggressively with a straight leg. It's a red card. He was given a yellow on the field. And after Darwin Mateus was sent off for its descent, but Again, maybe he said something very, very specific to get him sent off. The the captain, Stephen Carroll for Detroit City, spikes the ball down, gets in the AR's face, gets in the referee's face. The referee goes over to talk to the AR, then gives the red card. That's a horrible look. Is it the right call? Yes. It should have been a red. It should have been a red initially. But to send a player off for dissent a few minutes earlier, then allow their captain to do what he did no yellow card for him. You have to at least give him something, even if he's correct in this case, which he was. You have to give him something. They didn't. The The call goes up to a red. Of course, Atlanta United two players are going to be angry about that. Then you had Antoine Opino on the Detroit City bench, like being held back by people on his bench. Jack Collison goes over to try to calm him down. Jack is completely calm in the area we could see it it was it was captured really really well by our camera folks jack gets a yellow omar jerun gets a yellow the assistant for the twos opino doesn't get anything carol doesn't get anything and everybody's angry down the stretch and and luckily they only played two minutes of of stoppage they didn't even need to play that it's four they shouldn't have been that much but that's not it, it that's not worth getting worked up about because it doesn't matter they they could have called it at that point everything had calmed down by that point that's the least of the issues yeah. <laughs> if we're gonna we don't need to harp on that one because it's nothing the ref could have lost control of this in a very bad way luckily the teams calmed down but he blew it at the end with those decisions it didn't affect the outcome it didn't do anything to affect the way that the the twos performed they did not perform well up till that point up till the the penalty decision I thought he had a good game, and I said as much on the call. But he blew it at the end. It's very hard to do that job. Um, If that was his first professional game, look, he's got a lot to learn, and and he will learn from that. You have to get the experience. You have to get it at these kind of levels. Um, I have no idea if he'll end up being an MLS referee or not. Um, It's one game. You know, He's got to get a bunch of games at this level to see. But I thought he did not handle the temperature of the game at the end well at all and the not the non-red yellow that whole incident if he had given the red initially it's nothing it should have been an easy red card decision that made it worse so he struggled at the end he had a good 70 plus minutes and he struggled at the end it didn't affect the outcome We'll see if we see him again and we'll see if he continues to improve as a referee uh, Jordan Gray but those bad moments don't take away the good moments either, but it is pretty bad in some big moments and it could have gotten really bad. Luckily it didn't. So that was the experience with the twos. And then I drove three, about four hours to Charlotte four. afterwards. And uh, now I made it a little, uh, I stopped for gas. If I hadn't stopped for gas, if I'd been fully gassed up, I probably would have made it in just under four, about three forty. 40. Um, I was moving pretty good. 
and made it all the way to Charlotte and crashed and got up and did the game yesterday and no goals for Atlanta in the game yesterday either. And by the time I got back to the hotel, I, I walked over to 7-Eleven and got a couple beers, just the little singles because I could not drink a six pack. I wouldn't be doing the show this morning. And uh, of course, the only beers that I could get in the singles at the price point and the amount that I wanted to get were the Michelob Ultra Charlotte FC cans. Wow. <sighs> bottles, aluminum bottles. I was like, this is just insult to injury. <laughs> Man. Just keep pounding the info right there. Just come on. But, but uh, yes, that, that was, and I was asleep pretty early last night because I was beat. Yeah. And so what else we got Atlanta, on the Twitch? Well, I was going to say really quickly for Atlanta United 2, their next match is uh, on Sunday, I believe, up in Indianapolis against yep. Indy 11. And Indy 11 is right below them in the standings. I think it's Saturday, um, but you're going to be missing Darwin Mateus. That's, yeah. that's a big loss. Yeah, and that's that was the other point. You said no Darwin Mateus is a part of your offense going to the mic to take on Indy Eleven on the weekend. Yeah, I think it's around the same time as the first team game. Um yeah, it's at seven o'clock on Saturday. Okay. First team plays at six. So dueling matches with uh FC Cincinnati and Indy Eleven with the twos and with the first team on the weekend. Mm-hmm. All right. So when you asked what folks uh wanted to talk about. Wiley E. Coyote says, specifically for Atlanta United, it felt like we were stuck in our own half a ton in the match against Charlotte. Hmm. Um, I don't have that sense. I didn't have that sense there. I think one thing that did feel stuck a little bit, and I'm going to try to pull up, um, and see if I can find a, a representation of that. I'm going to see what I can find. Give me a second. But one thing that did feel stuck at times was moving from side to side faster. Uh, there were multiple times where I felt like a, a switch was on and it either didn't happen or by the time that the player on the ball got the awareness of what was on the opposite side, it was closed down. Or when it was actually played, it wasn't quite as effective. That was something where I felt like they got stuck at times. Um, let me see if this match report gives me a little of what I'm looking for. One thing, I mean, Atlanta will build up the play out of the back. So that's not necessarily being stuck. That's you're going to build up out of your back line. I think we already have uh, Jarrett back, and I don't have his normal music. Um, I am going to play a background track called Feeding the Ducks. No, John. I'm playing something, John. Could you please stop? That feels kind of Jarrett-ish. It's a very weird vibe. It's different from what I'm used to. (laughs) It's it's Feeding the Ducks, Jarrett. It's mostly that I don't like change. Well, I don't have the, the other issue. one with me. No, no, that's okay. I don't computer, blame so. you. You're you're in another city. Yeah. I, I was stuck with uh, daydreaming into space or feeding the ducks, and I went with feeding the ducks for you. So we're yeah. feeding the ducks in hour number two. That's, that's what okay. I went with. So um, the question was about being stuck in your own half. Um, again, Atlanta's going to build up out of the back, so you're, you're going to have you're, – you're going to play out of your own half. So that will happen sometimes. Um, touches. It's actually the most in the middle third, and I could I could get 
with saying that they they got stuck a little bit there at times in the middle third as opposed to the attacking third you're not going to have as many touches in the attacking third unless you're manchester city against somebody um both teams were were kind of in this realm uh charlotte had more touches in the attacking third than atlanta did atlanta had far more touches in the middle third i think that's where it felt maybe stuck and if it's right around midfield and it's kind of in it's in your own half but it's right around midfield when we're playing the semantics game the bigger one for me was the moving left to right which i think would have got you or right to left as well getting into the final third is where i think it was a problem um they needed to switch the play faster at times it's a group that's still finding their way um, in terms of this, and they keep losing focal points who do it. I think Mateus Osechi is one who is very good at th- that sort of thing. Didn't have him. Um, Amar Sadich was okay. I didn't think Sadich was was bad or good in this one. He was okay. I needed a little more from him in that regard. Uh, Almada and Moreno are still learning how to play with one another, and I think they're still learning how to play with Gutman and Lennon. They're going to tend to go left. They're going to tend to be with Gutman and and have those triangles and combinations. They have to get their head up a little bit more and look for that big switch. I think Almada did it more as the day went on uh, from either side, left to right or right to left. But that's where I felt like they were getting stuck was on a vertical side of the field as opposed to getting stuck in your own half as much. If, if that makes any sense whatsoever. That was my feeling from the game. Um, the touches, just to, to give it to you, um, 67 in their own penalty area, 225 in the defensive third, 318 in the middle third, 110 in the attacking third, 15 in the attacking penalty area. Uh, they needed to get into the final third more. That was, that was one for the possession you had, which is about 50-50, for the touches that you had, for the passes that you had. I think you needed to get into the final third more. Charlotte was able to do that more. They were, again, the goal where it happens allows them to be more vertical and less possession-oriented. They're a possession-based team, too. They didn't have to take some of those chances so they could play longer, and they got touches in the final third. But, again, when you go to XG... They didn't create as many good chances with it as Atlanta did. So it's you get back to really the sense of it to me. It was a very even game. And give Charlotte credit for not allowing Atlanta to easily get into the attacking third and sometimes maybe getting them stuck around midfield. Yeah, along those same lines, Rack was, uh, I think we, we aren't used to the game being played so much in our defensive end, and that was the only thing that Rack could come up with. Yeah, it, it wasn't too much. Um I'm going to see if I, where can I get that kind of info? Because there's a couple places. I really wish I could get like all the different sites that I use to pull up these different game reports. I wish they all had the same information or one of them had all the information because it's like different ones give you different things that are really useful in, in, in getting into this kind of detail. And it's bouncing from one to one. Um, let me look at this quickly. So about the same number of touches for each team. Uh, 654 for Atlanta, 644 for Charlotte. You look at the heat map, and Atlanta had a lot of concentration on the edges of the final third, especially to the left, and that was a lot of Almada and Moreno. 
some to the right as well. Those were the the darker areas, along with Radkazan and Goal, which is fairly typical. Kalina had that too. Charlotte didn't really have any like kind of red areas where they were in the same space a lot. They had maybe a little more ground covered in general, and it was where they were playing in Atlanta's half was more down the flanks. So they were getting into the attacking half wide. That's a little bit of why their XG is not as high as Atlanta's because they were getting into the attacking half, but they weren't getting into dangerous positions really well. Because I thought Atlanta's back line played well. I thought the, the three center backs did a good job, and then when it was two, they did well. But what turned the game for me, and I talked about it coming in, I felt like Atlanta had an advantage against Joseph Mora or Christian Fuchs as the left back, um, and Jalen Lindsay. I thought Atlanta could create overloads. I thought Atlanta could overplay those areas. They couldn't. Mora was excellent. Uh, Lindsay was was good as he has been, but Mora was really good and made Charlotte's defense work because they've still got things to solve with Fuchs's lack of pace, with Mora being a spot starter in his history in the league. Who's the left back? Are they going to play three center backs from time to time? It looks like they're not. Um, they're going to play Fuchs. They have to play Fuchs on the field somewhere. It looks like they're going to play him as a center back. Mora's got to be like he was yesterday for Charlotte to make all of that work. And he was. Mora was excellent. And that's where Charlotte, to me, nullified Atlanta a lot. And maybe that's why they couldn't get into the attacking half as more. Maybe that's why they couldn't get into the final third as much because of Mora and Lindsay not getting pinned deep and actually getting up the field a good bit. And that was really where I think Charlotte was able to, I don't want to say control the game or dominate the game because they didn't. That's where they took things away from Atlanta that Atlanta could have used to, to create things. Also on the board, we've talked uh, about Alan Chapman. That was what Abby and GH uh, had mentioned about Alan Chapman and his inconsistency. GH talking about being frustrated with Chapman, how Atlanta United can't deal with the physical battle. Uh, Jarrett, Bart came in on the Twitch pitch. What I'm upset about is that we still don't defend set pieces well. That's not specific to this game, but we're very much not defending set pieces well at all, and that led to their goal. Had a series of corner kicks we couldn't clear that allowed them to keep pressure on us. This is a trend that is very concerning. Go ahead. I know you want to. No, no, no. I mean, it's set piece defending is an issue. Yeah, but set piece defending in this situation, yeah, you couldn't clear. Charlotte had, I think, three corners in fairly quick succession. I thought you should have got a foul and should have got out of that, but you didn't. Okay. The actual goal is very different than the issues defending set pieces. The actual goal is more of a fluke. Um, Brad Gazan talked about the wind. The wind was an issue in the bowl. Like it was swirling. You saw long balls get hung up in the wind or blown further a lot of times. Felt like when Kalina played long, Robinson, Campbell, Franco had trouble judging it at times. And, and the Charlotte players did too. All of that said, where I think the issues are the worst for Atlanta in set-piece defending, it's not defending free kicks. That's a completely different conversation. Let's get specific. I don't think it's outswinging corners as much either. 
you got to clear, you got to then like get possession after the initial clearance. Atlanta won the initial corners. They weren't getting out of their defensive third. You've got to get it and turn it and go or draw the foul and get out, which we see so many teams do. In swinging corners are a big problem. And that's a very specific situation. Uh, DC gave Atlanta problems with those, didn't score last week, and DC's a good set piece team. Charlotte gets one off an in swinger, and Olympico is, is, is a fluke. This was not Quito Diaz from uh, Barcelona of Ecuador getting his head up and seeing, hey, I can hit this with the outside of my right foot and do something that's crazy. That was very intentional. Still the this most was... insane goal of the uh, amazing, month. just amazing. <laughs> I... um, this was not that. This is putting it into an area that's crowded and there's chaos. What I do want to see, and uh, I talked about it on the full time report, in on in swinging corners, watch how teams set up. Uh, generally, you'll have somebody on top of the goalkeeper, and, and that's typical across a lot of teams. Teams are doing that to Atlanta. Atlanta will do that to teams too. You want somebody on the goalkeeper because you want to make it difficult for them to, to find the flight of the ball, to get to the ball. You, you want them to have a difficult time. What teams do to counteract that, in, in, and I think what Atlanta United should do, and they did not do in this game at all. I'd have to go back and watch other in-swingers against other teams to see if they've done it before. They didn't have a defender get there and make a point of getting that player away from Brad. And Brad's got to call for that too. And you, you've got to handle that better because you had a player right there. You've got the wind. You've got an in-swinger, which is difficult to deal with anyway because you're trying to judge the swing of it into you. It's crowded. Get that player away from Kazan. Go, get in there and like kind of bump them around. We see it all the time. This is the game within the game, right? You, you see that player get there and try to get up right next to the goalkeeper and do this kind of nonsense and maybe back into him a little bit. The goalkeeper might give him a little shove and throw their hands up and yell at the referee. You need a defender to come in there and do that as well to where the referee has to deal with it. Then the referee does what we see so many times with their, hey, hey, everybody, stop that. Stop that pushing. That's very bad. Her, her, her. And what happens a lot of times is a foul gets called going out. But you've got to do those little things to deal with in-swingers. In-swingers are hard for every team. They're especially hard right now for Atlanta United. And Atlanta's got to deal with it better. I think you got to get into that kind of a situation. Get the guy away from your goalkeeper. And it'll be easier for Gazan to deal with it. If there's a if there was a set piece that was scarier, honestly, was the one right before that where uh, I think it was Alan, I think it was uh Charlotte Alan Franco gets his head on a ball and at the near post and it goes just wide of the near post. It was almost like that Julie Ertz classic style of just yeah. run it near post and let him just try and glance it in. Uh, it was close enough that sofa score marked it for a goal and then had to unmark it. Whoever was punching for sofa score got fooled by it too. Um, yeah, everybody did. The fans <clears> got <throat> fooled by it. Mike got fooled by it. Um, yeah. it would I mean, that one, that one, was, that one was tough. It was, it's, it's that we're going to go quick. Well, Hey, that's post, a... and it's a different kind of animal to deal with. Yeah, that's a really good point because if, if you want an, a second issue to me on set-piece defending that's beyond just set-piece defending bad, near post. And this can be in-swinger or out-swinger. Where Joseph usually is for you. It's where Joseph usually is. That's part of it. That's part of it in this one for sure. But your Kansas City goal. Now, that was up against the end line. I think that was really well worked. But that is driven low 
ish. I mean, it's still headed, but it, it's low. It's driven, not floated. If it's floated to the near post, Joseph wins that a lot of times. If it's driven and that player is not accounted for, they can do what they did in, in the Kansas City game where it's flicked onto the back post. If there's another issue, and this is a lot of your your bets on how you're going to defend this, and Gonzalo Pineda's talked about it. They have they they work on it, yes. They don't just ignore it. They have went man-to-man. They have went zonal. A lot of teams do zonal. A lot of teams do man-to-man. A lot of teams do some combination of the two. They've done all those different things. It is down to execution more than anything. Where things get redirected, especially from the near post. Near post in general is weaker than the back post because I think that you look at the Atlanta United roster. If it's floated to the back post, Miles, Franco, Campbell, all good in the air, all big guys. They're going to go up and win those a lot of times. Okay, that's good. Near post is more of a problem. The Franco flashing one that is a run that he he got to the ball and wasn't blocked off. That's a problem. That's what happened in the Kansas City one, except it was flicked onto the back post. The redirects, and sometimes teams will try to do that from the back post headed back across. Those prove to be challenging, as they are for a lot of teams, but more so for Atlanta. Set-piece defending has to improve. But specifically to me, the in-swinging set-piece defending, get more physical, get more dark arts, if you want to call it that, whatever. Work the referee in those situations. Don't let somebody impede your goalkeeper. And better near-post defending outside of having Joseph at the corner of the six, winning anything that he can win as a free man. He's not there right now. So this is maybe a chance to kind of rearrange how you defend the near post a little bit. Jason, yeah, to your point, Wiley came came back in and specifically mentioning Brad thinks Goose let the player mess up his positioning. It's way easier and faster to move forward versus backward. Hashtag GK Union when you're trying to. Of course, definitely that. And I, I think the wind is what maybe floated it to where he had to go backwards, but it's just a distraction. And and in those kind of situations, like a half second of a distraction can be enough that then he didn't get that step back quicker to deal with it floating over a little bit more. And if he'd had a half second, maybe you get that and you knock it over the bar. Maybe you knock it wide. Um, I'd like to see however they want to do it. I don't care if it's if it's Brad calling somebody in, if it is somebody just if they watch this and they say, you know, like, okay, um, you don't want one of your center backs to do it because you want them to deal with the deep ball. If it is, you know, Sosa's good in the air too, so you kind of want him in those spots. If it's your forward, if it's uh, one of your wingers who comes in there and, and says, okay, hey, you're not going to get next to Brad. I'm going to bump you out of this spot. Yeah, I'm going to make the referee deal with it. I'm not going to let you distract our goalkeeper. They need to do better with that very specific element and that would then take away a little bit of that distraction also on the board when you're asking folks what their questions are and addressing what is wrong uh emilio came in says he's frustrated about never having anywhere near a full staff having to have the depth having to win games last night on salty i'd mentioned the the starters that were missing as a, a part of this discussion as well. But yeah, so there's Emilio's frustration is not having the, the everybody at the lineup at full song. Yeah. I, I, I wish there was a way to fix that. Um, 
there's not. And yeah, I know people want to start narratives about an Achilles injury with Dylan Castanera or an ACL when Ozzy Alonso was hit in DC. And I'm not saying Emilio's doing that, but I've seen people literally do this and, and say that those are the part of the training staff and the, the trainers, it's their fault that you're getting these injuries. No, no, it's not. There is a luck element to this game. There's a luck element to these injuries. ACLs, as you saw, I, I kept leaving Breck Shays out of it in 19. Breck, Joseph, Ozzy, all on the road, all in matches. If I remember correctly, the Joseph one maybe had the least amount of contact, but there was enough contact to kind of throw him off of maybe where he stepped. I don't, I don't, I don't think the contact was critical in it. The Alonzo one, I think the contact is what caused it. And you don't always get that in an ACL. If I remember right, Jared, the Breck one in Seattle, I think there was contact with that. And I think it might have led to it. It might have led to a misstep. It might have led to the, the actual ligament tear. But those are all on the road in games. That's nothing to do with the training staff. I can't for the life of me remember the Breck one. Uh, it was clearly. on the far side um, of the field. Yeah, it was on the far we side. I just don't Seattle. remember the details of it. Yeah, I, I don't remember exactly. But I know there was a player there. I just don't remember if they kind of collided or rolled them up or anything like that. Anyway, they're all in game action. That has nothing to do with the training staff. The ACL for Heinemann is in a practice. ACLs are not training staff situations anyways. Just throw those into the trash. Neither is an Achilles. Neither is what Mateus Osetu had. It's a hamstring as he's taking a shot. Yeah. I mean, you saw he takes the shot. And he immediately is like, yeah, I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. Um, it's, it's it's frustrating. Yeah, Emilio. Yeah, like it's frustrating that you don't have that. But where it's 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 maddening is when people take being frustrated about bad luck with injuries and blaming, which you can't like you can't blame anybody about. ACL injuries and Achilles injuries and hamstrings on shots and these kinds of things. You just can't. Also, uh, Michael Head says, uh, I also hate that we cannot play our game unless unless the ref calls a close match. Maybe we need a complete change of game philosophy, i.e. if pros isn't consistently going to call early fouls, why do we think they ever will? Because they should, because that's the way the game should be played. And I don't want to see Atlanta have to play a lesser quality game and a more 50-50 game. Because look, you're not going to dominate as many games by not trying to play with the ball as much. And I I don't want to see them go to a Philadelphia or Red Bulls or Connor Casey, Charleston Battery, defensive first kind of thing. I don't want to see that. I don't think they're ever going to do that. I don't think that's what the club's been founded on. That's not attacking soccer, which is what they've been founded on. They are trying to attack. They are trying to play. They are trying to play with quality. I don't want to see bad refereeing win in that. And the team says, oh, well, we can't play good soccer, so we're going to have to play. Eh. Let's bomb it long and let's run and chase. And let's not try to dribble because you might get fouled. No, like you have to keep going at it. You have to. And this team has won a lot with it. They have, you know, like, again, you, you got various scales of it. Uh, was Frank DeBoer as attacking as Tata Martino or as attacking as Gonzalo Pineda? No, but his team's 
definitely were not defensive. He had a defensive run where he was figuring the team out, and he figured out that I can't leave Parky and LGP on an island, and I've got to protect them with their lack of pace a little bit more than we did before, so I want to be a little more secure than that. And he found a balance, and you went forward. This is going to be an attack-minded team. I don't want to see them concede possession because they're afraid of getting fouled and it not getting called. I don't want to see that happen. Um, I don't think it will. I don't think that's a risk. And I think if you did it for that, it'd be absolutely the wrong reasons. But I don't think that changes. I think Atlanta United's identity is to be an attack-minded, high-quality team that wants the ball and wants to control the game with the ball. And you have to keep putting the pressure on referees to make calls correctly and use persistent infringement correctly. And I want to see that for the good of the game in this country because it's a bigger picture thing. I want to see referees call games better for more attack-minded, better soccer. And that's better soccer. That's my opinion. You can light me up for that if you want. That's fine. I don't care. Um, have the same argument that everybody in the world has about what's good soccer and what's bad soccer. That's cool. Call me an idiot. I don't care. I don't want to see long ball. I don't want to see sit back and defend and try to counter. I don't want to see we're afraid of having the ball. We're just going to bomb it long and press, 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 press. I don't want to see that kind of soccer win at all times. It is useful for some teams. A hundred percent it is. It is a tactic and it can be effective. I get to choose. It's not what I want to see. I want to see more teams try to play with the ball because I think it has a higher ceiling. I think you have a much lower ceiling if you try to play non-ball controlling soccer. You have a lower ceiling. Can you win with it? Yes. Are you going to win a lot with it? No. I don't think you are. Diego Simeone is an example of this. He's won a lot with a lesser team at their level of winning a lot, but he's not winning like Barcelona and Real Madrid have in the time that Simeone's been there. Because you have a limitation. Red Bull haven't won an MLS Cup playing in the way that they they have chosen to play. They've won a supporter shield. They've won a couple supporter shields with the pressing style. Really, with the real pressing style, they've won one. They haven't been to an MLS Cup. Philadelphia's won a supporter shield with it. They haven't been to an MLS Cup. Probably should have been last year, but COVID changed that. They might this year. Look, maybe they're the, the, uh, the outlier. I think if you play with the ball, you have a much better chance to win. And that's why Atlanta should continue to play with the ball and keep putting pressure on referees to make calls. Shiva on the board is a part of the discussion about the main frustration about not having a healthy team is asking maybe we're too de- uh, too dependent on our designated players. Nah, I mean, Shiva, you have to be dependent on your designated players. That's the way the salary cap structure is. Like those are your, those should be your best players. You have to be dependent on your best players. You are not, this team specifically this year is not purely dependent on anybody. Uh, do you expect Luis Araujo to be one of your best players? Yep. Do you expect Joseph Martinez to be one of your best players? Yep. Do you expect Tiago Almada to be one of your best players? Yep. But you also have Miles Robinson. You also have Santi Sosa. You also have Marcelino Moreno, who's not a designated player. You also have Emerson Hindman, who's not a designated player when he's healthy. It's more balanced than ever before. You're, I think every team in MLS is going to be dependent on their designated players to some degree because those should be your best players. And there's such a disparity between 
salary, which usually helps define the quality or is a representation of the quality. And you're going to see that gap in every team in the league. I think Atlanta is maybe one of the teams that is least reliant purely on their designated players. If the DP doesn't have a good game, Atlanta can still find ways to win. I think there's some teams that can't. Looking uh, down the line, and once again, folks, if I've missed a question about uh, concerns or anything like that, please go ahead and resend them back in the queue. Uh, Not Your Aunt Martha had a question in general. Wanted to know about why you're as confident as you are that Atlanta will make the playoffs this year and Charlotte will not make the playoffs this year. Um, Because I think Atlanta's a better team than Charlotte. I don't think Charlotte's depth is good enough to make the playoffs. Um, Look, maybe they get lucky and they don't have any injuries and they get some new additions and everything's different. I I said it before, and I will be clear about this. I'm talking about Charlotte right now as they're constructed. If they go out in the summer window and add a couple of pieces that make them a different team, then it's a different discussion. Uh, They got to show that they can do that because they didn't coming in. I think Atlanta's a better team. I I do. I, I, I don't have a problem saying I think Atlanta's a good team. I don't think that should be a shocking statement. I really don't. Um, I feel like after a loss, it it is for everybody that if you say that, well, Atlanta's good. Ah, oh, like I, no, I, I just I, I don't get that. I'm sorry. They're on ten points. They're three, two, and one. They're in fourth place in the East. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. You've had twenty minutes with Luis Araujo this season. You have not had one training session with your three designated players, with your four attacking players. You haven't had one training session. You're in fourth place. Atlanta's a good team. You can believe that, people. I don't think Charlotte, as they are currently constructed, makes the playoffs. I don't. If they go get some other pieces, and Miguel Angel Ramirez keeps pulling magic tricks, and they don't have any injuries, which they haven't yet, not anything significant, then okay, maybe they'll have a shot to get there. But it'll be more about the other teams that should be there that don't get there. I think Atlanta's a playoff team because they should be a playoff team. I think this is one of the most talented rosters in the league when it's at full song, and you got to get it there. And when you're not there, you still got to find ways to win. And they've done a pretty good job of that so far this season. So I'm not down on Atlanta United at all. And maybe I'm a little more, maybe I'm a little too down on Charlotte, but I think so far, Ramirez has done an amazing job in getting things out of a group that I don't think is as talented as some other rosters they're ahead of. I think Columbus is more talented than Charlotte. I think Toronto will have a different conversation about them in the second half when they get Insigne, but Bob Bradley's figuring things out. He figured out you can't play a line of four with what he has defensively, and that's helped them a ton. Uh, I think Montreal's a more talented team than Charlotte. I think NYC and New England obviously are more talented than Charlotte, and they're at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. So those are the reasons why I think Charlotte's not going to make the playoffs. Yeah, Shooter popped in earlier. Um, Shooter's down bad right now. (laughs) No, I get it. I mean, it's frustrating. I'm not worried about New England because this team has been there and done that, but do they win the Supporter Shield? No. No. Do they make the playoffs? Yeah, I think they do, but they're going to have a lower seed than I would have ever guessed. They'll get it figured out, I would think. If they don't, then it's a failure on their part. And this is, I think this is what we do about punditry sometimes. And, and Martha, I'm not, I'm not jumping at you. I, I, 
I, I don't want to do this, but I feel like I have to sometimes because if I respond to anybody like and I don't agree, sometimes it, it turns into like I'm attacking people. I'm not in any way. You ask a question, I'm going to answer it to you as, as, as real and genuine as I possibly can. If Charlotte makes the playoffs, I feel like it is more of a failure of a New England than a Charlotte proper build of a roster. If they get there, Miguel Angel Ramirez is probably the reason why, more than the roster. But I think the main reason why is other teams didn't get there that should have. I I don't think it's a controversial statement to say New England is a better team on the paper than Charlotte. They should be. The end of the season, I think they will be. Right now, they're not. And if they aren't, I don't think I'm off base by saying I think New England will be better than them today at the end of the season. If they don't get there, I don't think that makes me off base. I think it means New England failed in that case. It's not saying I'm never wrong. Don't Please don't take it that way. Jeez. Um, but yeah, New England should be better than Charlotte. They're not. Right now, it's not working. In the long run, I think it will. I think they will be ahead of Charlotte. I think they'll be in the playoffs. I think NYC will too. I think Montreal could be. I think Toronto could be. I think Columbus should be. I think Chicago's been a big surprise. Philadelphia, Orlando, Red Bulls, Atlanta ahead of Charlotte in the table right now. Yeah, I think those teams should be ahead of Charlotte in general. So I just think it's a numbers game. I don't think Charlotte makes the top seven. Uh, also on the board this morning, uh, let me see, ropes. And it's a topic that we haven't gotten into this morning with Atlanta United. Uh, ropes excited about having a healthy roster whenever that happens. Ronaldo Cisneros looks legit. Defense was pretty solid, only allowing an impressive goal. That was his overreaction here on a Monday. Well, we did talk about it because I said Ronaldo Cisneros is probably your starter. It's one of the things that you learned in this game. Um, he just gives you something different. He just gives you something different. I think Dwyer tries to give you what Joseph gave you, but he's not at the same level. Um, I think Jackson needs games. I think he really needs to be with the twos and playing games with the twos. And, you know, you have to have the extra cover. I get that. But he's not a starter at MLS right now. I I, want to see if he can be. But I think Cisneros gives you the best chance to win. Uh, He's got pace, which gives you something different, especially with what you have right now without Araujo. You get that pace of, of Cisneros. You get his work rate, which was outstanding. He's hungry. He wants to prove a point. Give him the opportunity to do that. I think he starts on Saturday. I think he's your starter while Joseph is out. Um, I think that is a big thing you learned in this game. John Nason didn't think that Pineda was fast enough in recognizing that Tiago Almada should move centrally in place of Marcelina Moreno. Once he did, there was an immediate impact, just not enough time to produce. Also with five subs now, Halftime subs should be a weapon that need to be used in games like these. I'd like to see halftime subs used more in general across the board with all managers because, yeah, I think they can be used more effectively as a weapon. Um, Almada was in the middle plenty, and he was on the wing plenty. I I don't get hung up on that. I know a lot of other people do. Hey, it's, it's your prerogative. I don't because I think they both end up in the middle and out wide about where they should be. I'll go more general than positioning with Almada and and with Moreno. I want to see the team play through Almada more and play to Moreno more as opposed to playing through Moreno more and to Almada. I think Moreno is better at the end of a play 
I think Almada is the one I want to see. And he did it more yesterday, drop and help build the, the play when he has to. I want to see him carry the team forward more and Moreno be in the final third and dangerous spots more. And if that's central or wide or whatever, I, I don't care about that. I just want to see Almada with more touches. And I think that will make the, the, the team better in general. And I think that's something that's evolving as Almada is getting more comfortable being that guy. Uh, noticed him yesterday. He was getting very demonstrative, not angry, but wanting the ball, demanding the ball, wanting more. That was good. He's going to have to be that player for, I think, Atlanta to reach the heights that they can. And if he's feeding Moreno more, whether it's feeding him to the flank or feeding him inside, which he did both yesterday, that's what I think will make them more effective rather than a positional thing. Uh, Emilio is asking, who has more experience, uh, Ronaldo Cisneros or Jackson Conway? Cisneros. He's older. Um, game experience at the first and second division level, Cisneros has it. Second division level is pretty similar, honestly, because I think Cisneros has been one of those guys that just hasn't busted through in Mexico. He's played a lot at the second division level. Jackson Conway's played a lot at the second division level, hasn't busted through at the first division level either. I think Cisneros has more overall experience because of his age and because of his youth national team time with Mexico, where he was vital and he was a big deal. That's why it's been a little bit of a surprise that he hasn't busted through. Um, I think Cisneros has maybe a little more experience in playing the way that Pineda wants to play as well, as opposed to Jackson, who is a little bit different kind of a player. But ultimately, it comes down to their their personalities as a player for me. I think Cisneros is a better fit. Uh, Will's asking, and I don't know if we have an answer for this, how close is Luis Arruja to being back? He's been close. Um, I think Pineda's stressed because of the way the way he is physically. It, when you look at the difference between like a sprinter and a long distance runner, Araujo is more of a sprinter, which brings more risk with muscle injuries because they're explosive. Is it fast twitch muscles? Is that the right term? I think I think it's fast twitch. I believe so. I think that's right. Um, you have more issue with pulling hamstrings and pulling quads and pulling muscles in general, and you've got to be more careful with those. And Pineda's expressed like. He's an explosive player. I want to be more careful with him because of that. But he's been close. Um, I don't know where he is and how much he has trained with the team on the field in soccer activities. Uh, but it's it's honestly like week to week, it feels like, with Otto So, I mean, if he played Saturday, I wouldn't be shocked. If he didn't play Saturday, I wouldn't be shocked. It, it, it feels like it's week to week right now with him. Um, Heinemann is further away, I think, further away from playing significantly. Because I think when Araujo comes back, he'll get back to, to full play quicker. Heinemann, you've got to build up a level of fitness, soccer fitness, too, because he hasn't played in so long. But Heinemann might play first. He might play with the twos first. I don't know if this weekend really lends itself to that, because I don't know if they'll they'll take him to Indy to play 45 or so. Maybe. Um, Heinemann's close, but Araujo feels like week to week. That's the sense I get. Dead again, and, and folks have mentioned that uh, Gonzalo Pineda still doesn't have a full 
calendar MLS season under his belt mm -hmm. as a head coach. But Dedigan says, I think Pineda has exactly the right plan. We need time. Once he gets the system in place, consistent positive performances will follow. Yeah, I've been happy with, with the way he sees the game. Um, I like what he is trying to get this team to. I really do. And, and you know, we have different, we all have different opinions in what we like about the game and what we don't like about the game. There are people who love the, the, the German gagging pressing. There are people who love Pep Guardiola style. There's people who love Bielsa style. There's people who love uh, Simeone style. There's people who are defense first. There's people who are offense first. We all have different opinions on how we see the game. And that's always going to color this. You know, just keep that in mind. I personally like the way Gonzalo Pineda sees the game. I like what he's trying to bring across with his team. I like when he talks about the game. I feel like I have a lot of kind of similar things in how I see the the game, um, what I like, what I don't like. So yeah, I'm, I'm probably a little biased in that regard. Uh, coming into it, I was trying to pull up Pineda's all-time record, uh, and I don't have it in front of me. Um, He's won a lot more than he's lost or drawn. He's done a good job in the time he's had, and he's had a lot of different things to deal with. He had to come in midseason last year and get a team into the playoffs. He did. Nearly got them to host a home game. He has started the season well with a lot of injuries. Okay. I, I, I like where things are. I really do. I like the culture around the team. I like the vibe around the team. I like what they're trying to do. I like where they are right now and where they can be in the future. So, yeah, I'm very happy with Gonzalo Pineda in charge. Very, very happy. Uh, burned in discussing uh, Atlanta United in general says, I have my doubt that possession football actually works in MLS. You need a consistent technical superiority of a certain degree over the opponents to make that work consistently. And I'm not sure you can have that in Major League Soccer due to roster rules and caps. Yeah, you can. I, I think you can. Um I disagree, and I'm I'm never going to be of the mind of no, you don't want the ball. That that just it, it goes back to just how I feel about the game. And and look, if if that colors where you might disagree with things I say, that's fine. But understand exactly where it's coming from. You have to make a decision in the game. In my mind, to the way I play or what I like. Is it based around having the ball or not having the ball? You have to make that decision. That's number one. That's the that's at the front. You can have the ball in a number of different ways. You cannot have the ball in a number of different ways. But do you want the ball or do you not want the ball? I always want the ball. I always want more of the ball because I want a team that can do more with the ball. I don't want them to be reliant on playing without the ball. So I'm never going to agree with that mentality. And I understand the point that Burned is making, but I do think there are significant differences technically in this league. I think Atlanta is significantly better technically than most teams in the league. Are you going to have games where you play against a team that is very good with the ball? Yeah. But I think you see teams in other leagues who don't have that huge advantage, who are good with the ball and do things with the ball. I don't think it's purely about, well, you can't have better players, so you can't play with the ball. Because that's what people will say to try to diminish Pep Guardiola. Ah, he's got great players, and that's why he can play the way that he does. 
Well, of course he's got great players and he can play the way that he does because he's got great technical players, but that doesn't mean his style can't work. It doesn't mean that it can't happen. It doesn't mean that you can't play with the ball if you don't have a huge advantage because, I mean, we're not notice Pep's done pretty well against teams with a lot of money to spend and a lot of good players on the field. He's done pretty well in those games over his career. You can do it. Is it sometimes harder? Sure. But I have no problem with having any of the back line, Campbell, Robinson, Franco on the ball. I have no problem with Lennon, Gutman on the ball. I have no problem with Sosa on the ball. No problem with Almada, Moreno on the ball. No problem with Joseph on the ball. You have some players who maybe you don't want on the ball as much. You want them on the ball in different ways. Franco Ibarra has gotten a lot better on the ball, by the way. He's a lot more confident in possession. That was really good to see yesterday. I thought he put in a really good shift off the bench. Really strong. I was really happy with Franco. Mulraney, do you want to play through him all the time? No. Do you want him in those 1v1 situations where he can you know, destabilize the defense? Yeah. So, look, I'm, I'm always going to say I want more of the ball, and I'm always going to believe in playing that way. Um, is it at times harder when you don't have these huge advantages? Yeah, of course. But if you don't have a team that can run fast and work hard, it's going to be a big disadvantage to play defensively too. That's just the game. You, you have to craft your you have to craft your tactics to what you have. You have to build the team you want based off your philosophy. And I think Atlanta United has the team they want based off the philosophy that the club believes in. Gonzalo Pineda buys into that. He crafts the tactics game to game based off who he has available and what works. That's a little bit of your flow chart. Ricky is asking, why does it feel that Atlanta tries to play games in quotation marks the right way? And when teams muck it up and get away with it, we don't either do the same or don't handle it well. Um, I don't know if, if that's a little bit of a, like, a shot about the right way thing. Um, I, again, personally, I think it's the right way to play with the ball. That's how I feel. That's how a lot of people feel. That's how some people don't feel. That's fine. I don't think this team is built to muck it up. I don't think, you know, I, I don't think Marcelino Moreno is a player who's going to muck anything up, really. I, I don't think... Jake Mulraney's a guy who's going to muck things up. I don't think Brooks Lennon's a guy who's going to muck things up. I don't think it's their personality. The team is built to play the way that they think is the right way to play. And they're not a muck it up team. Just like Philadelphia is not a team that's built to play with the ball. That's why Casper Shabilko left. And that's why they've got different players up top. That's why they've evolved that team. Jamiro Montero. They got even harder running. Montero could fit that style. I think he fits a different style better. But you build the team to play the way you want. So to say, just then flip it and muck it up, you're not built to play that way. So I don't think you can do that. Um, you have to make the decision on what you think the right way is. And you do that at the club level. You do that at the top, top level. And I think Atlanta has shown you by now that they're going to go get attacking players. They're going to go get technical players. They're going to get players who are ball dominant and fit the way very broadly that Atlanta United believes is the right way to play. And I like it. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a great thing. I think it's, it's great for, for kids in Atlanta. It's great for fans in Atlanta to see 
this kind of soccer. I think it's a great display for the game. It's a better display than others, in my opinion. That doesn't mean you can't win in other ways. But in my opinion, I think this is the best way to play. I think it's the best way to teach the game. That's where I'm at. A couple of Caleb Wiley questions have come in on uh, both timelines. One involving the substitution in the match. Uh, mm -hmm. 10 minutes to go. Uh, it was, I guess, the, the Goldilocks question from Colonel. Uh, too soon, too later, just right. And then... That was on about right. Um, could it have been a little sooner? Sure. Um, I wouldn't have went like a whole lot sooner. I'm, I'm not going to like quibble over a few minutes either way. Uh, he came in, what point? What was the minute, Mark? 80. Was it with 10 to go? 80, and he came on four. Uh, so, so, yeah, I think when you look at it in that sense, it would have been harder to do it much earlier because... At the 60-minute mark, you went to 4-3-3. You, you pulled Franco. You brought in Franco Ibarra. You brought on Mulraney for Sadich. It was Ibarra and Sosa. Um, four in the back. Cisneros for Dwyer five minutes later was like for like. When you brought on Wiley, you went to Ibarra sitting as a six, which I think that's the first time he's played as a six by himself ever. His time at Argentinos Juniors, he played in a double pivot. Every time he's been on the field here, he's been with Sosa, I believe. Maybe he played a game with Osetu last year, uh, playing as the deeper player. But he had never played as a six by himself. I mean, you're probably going back to like academy stuff with Argentinos Juniors. That was risky. And you don't want to invite that risk until you get to a certain point. Could that point have been in the 75th versus the 81st? Maybe. But I think it's generally the right time. I think it was because that then took you to a 4-1-4-1 with Almada and Moreno playing in front of Ibarra. And it put Wiley on the left and it put Moreno on the right. That was the last real aggressive roll of the dice you had. And, you know, I, I think you, you roughly timed it correctly. Then the follow-up question on Twitch, on the Twitch pitch this morning. Would you anticipate seeing more time with Caleb Wiley when he comes into matches on the left wing? Right now, I think it's the easiest place to play him because it's it's a, a place you're setting him up for success. And it's a place that, that we saw him play with Atlanta United too as well, not as much. Uh, you have Andrew Gutman who's played well. Um, I think Gutman's last couple of games have not been as good as his first couple, but he's been good. I think he won seven tackles yesterday too, by the way. Uh, could you play him there in place of Gutman? Yeah, I don't know if you get like a lot better. I think right now, where Wiley is in his development, young player, you take away some of the defensive responsibility and you try to use his pace to get in behind. He can be effective. He put in a good cross. He won a 1v1 battle. He put in a good cross. I think it was the one that ended up giving him the header opportunity at the end because he, he, he beat the player. I think it was Jalen Lindsay. Um, after Lindsay had just decked him a few minutes before, too. Lindsay went into him really dirty in the back. It was a hard hit. Uh, Wiley went 1v1 with him, took him to the outside, put the cross in. I think it was the same play that Gutman, after it got knocked up in the air, Gutman went for a bicycle. Wiley continued into the 18, 
And as Gutman pops up into the air, everybody kind of froze and Wiley's running to it. I thought he's heading it into the far side netting and, and it's one, one. I, I, I thought that was it. I was ready to celebrate a goal and he just missed the header. He, he just pushed it wide. Uh, didn't miss by much, but he just missed it by enough. Um, Jared, I feel like Wiley playing on the left wing in these situations is, is putting him in a good position at his age and at his experience level to to succeed. I don't. Know I don't dis. No, I, I don't disagree, and and we know that Wiley can do the offensive side of the job for sure. Um, it's it's going to be a work in progress for him, and that's the thing we got to remember with all these young players is everything is a work in progress. You know, it's. Uh, you want to put them in a position to succeed as much as humanly possible, but you got to pick your spots with them because they're, they're still kids in the grand scheme of things. That's okay. I mean, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to have good times. They're going to have bad times. They're still kids, and you put them in the right position to succeed. He was in a position to succeed yesterday. It just didn't pan out for you in that moment. That's It sucks, but it's not the end of the world. I mean, it's... Oh, you no, to I, get, I don't you think want, anybody was saying that. Oh, I, yeah, I just... I, you, you figure him out, and you figure out going forward like what he can... Uh, positions he can be in because as he, I think he showed us with the twos last year and then he's shown you some this year. He knows where to be. He's got a good instinct. So that certainly isn't the issue. He knows where to be. He knows how to get there in a reasonable amount of time and be effective. And I'm still excited about what Caleb Wiley can be at the, all at the same time, kind of trying to, I guess, remind people like it's hey, he's remember he's still just a kid. Yeah, sorry. I don't. I don't think that was. I. I, ho- I really hope not. If player, if if players, if people are getting down on a seventeen-year-old for where he is as a seventeen-year-old right now, um, I'm sorry. Y- y'all gotta. Y'all gotta stop with that. I. I wasn't trying to take it there. I. I think it's more of he can play on the left wing right now because you have a very good left back. In Andrew Gutman, and as a young player, and we saw Alfonso Davies go through this as well, where you're you're getting him his first minutes more in an attack-minded position because it lessens the defensive responsibility on him, and he can focus on, I, I think, ways he can impact the game in that end. And if he makes a mistake, you're not going to get punished as much. And he'll get some time at left back, but right now, where he can be most effective is playing on the left wing with his pace. And he has been pretty effective. And I want to continue to see more from him. And he had an opportunity here. He had a big moment. He wasn't able to put it away. I don't think that will be the case for long with Caleb. I think he's going to continue to improve and continue to get more time. Concern from Vader. Our ability on the ball is lacking to me. First touch disappoints me a lot, but hey, that's just my opinion. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't see that, Vader. I'm sorry. Um I don't see an issue with the first touch that I can really think of all that much. Um, Trying to think. I mean, do you, are you going to have first touches that get away from people? Yeah. You're not going to be perfect with that. Even your, your most technical players in the world are going to have touches that get away from them. I think you've had some of that because you do have all the time. I don't think it's been glaring. Um, that's, That's where I'm at with it. I think you built a team to, to, have a good first touch and in general i think you have a better first touch than a lot of teams in the league so i'm not seeing that as much i i don't put dribbling into that category by the way like that's a different conversation entirely where you're you're going 1v1 with a player and you are trying something to beat them if you take a heavy touch to run around them to get there and you lose it that's different than touch for me i'm talking about control when i'm when i go first touch i'm talking about ball played to you 
how you control it. If you have a good first touch, you're either moving it where you want to move it with your first touch. And those are the ones that I love where you, you almost pass it to yourself into space or you're controlling a more difficult ball really well. And then you can do whatever you want with it. That's where I'm at with first touch. I think Atlanta's got good first touch. Um, there's players who are better than others, but I haven't noticed that being a glaring issue in general. And I don't think it will be over the whole season. I, I don't, I don't see that. And to the point that you made early in the first hour, uh, uncle comes back about uh, taking too long to switch sides. Uncle says yeah. uh, still appears. There's no connection between the back line and attacking players. Well, no, that's completely different, John. Uh, when that's, not switching sides that's back to front i'm talking left to right right to left do you understand yeah no i i i, I am i'm just what, saying what you said is not what what i you linked it and it's not what i said okay no, so no. no then let me disconnect no. the link from okay, the first but, hour hold on let, let me but let me clarify because you brought it up right when i'm talking side to side switching i'm not talking back line to front line that's not switching not no, if you're not, not if you're not a, 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 a you know not if you're with me <laughs> right <laughs> because you just kept staring at me i thought you were you know hostage or something no. um no switching is left to right right to left moving from the back line to the front is progressing it's not switching intendo yeah i'm okay. with you okay so that what what uncle's saying yeah I, I'm okay with, with saying that. And it's something you need to improve. Uh, it's something that you want to get out of your own half, in control, into the attacking half. Some teams are going to make that more difficult than others. I think Charlotte's a, a good defensive team, a good pressing team. That's something that you want to see from a Miguel Angel Ramirez team. We'll go about seven more minutes. I'm out at 1110 because I'd like to get on the road. and I actually do have to check out of a hotel. Um, John does too. If he's not being held hostage, just no. Joking. Okay, good, good. He's he's still with us. Yeah. Um, I thought maybe Miguel and Hell Ramirez have got to you. I don't know. <laughs> no. So you need to do a couple of things, and we talked about this a lot with build up play. Um, when you build up the play cleanly, you can get into the attacking half more effectively. When you have problems building up the play out of the back you're not able to get into the attacking half either as fast or as organized and it affects you going forward. You need to get better at that. You do. Um, all the different pieces I think have been a little bit part, a little part of it. You know, you've had what we've seen a game with Robinson and Campbell at center back uh, against Kansas city. We saw a game with, Franco and Robinson at center back with Campbell as a defensive mid in Colorado. Uh, what else have we seen this year? We've seen Franco and Campbell, not Robinson. We've seen the three yesterday. So that's part of it is it's just, it's, it's different at all times. Um, you had Ronald Hernandez at right back. Now you have Brooks Lennon. Gutman's been ever present. You've had Alonzo, Campbell, and Sosa as your six, which is a huge part of your buildup. You got to get some continuity in those positions, and I think that'll clean up. I do, uh, but yeah, you're right that when you don't build up play quickly, efficiently, and cleanly, clean is the most important thing. 
Pep has said like 15 passes to stay organized, get into the attacking half. It's not like you have to add five more passes if you can't get there in 10. Generally, it takes passes to connect the team to get forward in an organized way the way you want. But if you can do it quicker, great. If you need a couple more, that's cool. If you do it cleanly and organized where it's hard and then you're scrambling, then you're probably going to lose it in that middle third. So to, to combine a couple of points from today, one area where Atlanta United can get better is building up play cleanly, which will get them into the middle third more cleanly, which will allow them to have more opportunities to progress into the final third in a more effective way. And they don't get stuck as much either around midfield or in the more progressed half of their defensive half, if that makes sense. When that cleans up, that will help the team get forward in a much better way for sure. Mata Flow. Can we finish Charlotte talk by pointing out that Alcivar is a great get and proof you don't need to only scout Brazil and Argentina? Yes, I'm still salty. He's still salty, and he's correct. Uh, Alcivar, very good player. Took him a minute to get into Miguel Angel Ramirez's team. He, he wasn't in the team early on. He's adjusted. Good, good, like, attacking eight is how I would describe him. I don't think he's a pure 10, uh, but he's got some playmaking about him. Good player. Really, really good good player and yeah you get Alcivar and you get Franco and you get Corujo from Uruguay he was at Nacional a big club in Uruguay not Peñarol but a big club not an attacking player like your Facundo Torres like your Rossi like your Rodriguez guys who have come from Peñarol and been splash guys in this league Corujo I thought was their man of the match Alcivar Franco both very very good Yes, you can scout other places. It doesn't mean you shouldn't scout Argentina or Brazil because there's very good players there and there's very good players at clubs below the top, top clubs. Of course, Santi Sosa has been great, but Franco Ibarra has been a really good pickup from Argentinos juniors. Eric Rometty was a very good pickup from Bonfield. You can find guys all over the South American continent, just like you can worldwide, but I think players from South America generally and I would go with Argentina, Uruguay, Ecuador, maybe even Peru in that. And maybe it's just because we've seen more of those guys. But I think those are leagues that players adapt really well to MLS. I think they adapt a little more difficultly from like a Brazil, from a Colombia, maybe a little more, but not quite as much. But yeah, you can look, you can look everywhere and you continue to need to. Because when you're looking in the high-profile leagues, there's going to be bidding wars. There's going to be more competition for signatures. If you go to other places, hey, you might be able to corner the market. David C, 3P. Only got to see part of the game because of youth soccer, but seeing week in and week out defenders trying to grab and pull back Marcelino Moreno only to see them fall on their face is so fun to me. He's surprisingly strong on the ball for his size and build. He is, and, and we'll end it here. We'll get a final thought from, from Jarrett and John before we go, um, just because I'm out of time and I'd like to get home at some decent time today before rush hour hits. Mm -hmm. yes. um, Moreno has a lot of core strength, and he doesn't look like a guy who can run through arm tackles, but it feels like every game he is running through arm tackles like an SEC running back. Uh, he's not built like an SEC running back, but his, his core is so strong he's able to run through that kind of stuff and shrug that kind of stuff off and not really lose his balance i think maybe that's the other thing about marcelino that is is so surprising is his balance is impeccable he just he gets hit and he rarely 
stumbles. I I don't know. I don't know what that is because he doesn't even have like that low of a center of gravity. Like you would see that with a Maradona. You see that with Messi sometimes because they're short and they have that. I'm I'm rallying for the smalls. Alex Pacino will be very happy. But the, you you're you're lower to the ground. If if you're Jarrett and you bump him around, he's gonna fall down because he's a giant. But if you bump a short guy, Just catching strays. Yeah, you should. You, you always take shots at the smalls. I'm defending the smalls here. If you hit the short guy, usually lower center of gravity, it's going to be able to get his balance back quicker. Jarrett's going to be stumbling and windmilling, and he's probably going to fall down on his face. That happens anyway. That's, That's called a day in the life. Even even not athletically based uh, uh, conversations and events, this happens, yes? Pretty much. So on that note, Jarrett, you can uh, give us your final thoughts, and, and we'll get ready to go. Yeah, um, fine. <laughs> Whatever. Don't fall down while you're doing it. <laughs> no. God. Um, I have a story for you about I have a story about that later to tell that's um oh. that involves my my lack of athleticism in a sporting event. Um okay. that was very funny. Okay. Um yeah, as far as I guess as we wrap this one up, um yeah, you look forward. Uh you can you can you, you kind of you do the 24 hour rule with it. I think you as a fan, you look at it, you get upset about it, it's frustrating. Um it's setting up for a really fun rivalry, but you're looking forward and you're looking back on this one as uh, you beat them at home with a deflected goal. They beat Hugh at home with an Olympico, and it was pretty fun. And Charlotte is doing fun things. Um, by the way, you go look at people around the league. It, the idea that their roster build was problematic at the start isn't an isolated issue. They've done a good job of complimenting it though so far. And um, I do want to see how they do for the rest when they get into like the dog days of summer, even if they stay healthy, like where, where it just starts to wear you out and you're playing on that turf in 90 plus degree heat week after week, it'll start to wear on you. And it, Cause it, wore, it wore on Atlanta in their first season. It wore on LAFC in their first season. There's nothing wrong with hitting a wall because in your inaugural season, it's so hard to build the depth. Uh, the best thing Charlotte can they're doing the best thing they can though right now is they're getting wins where they can and start to build up as much of a barrier as you can between teams below you so that if you do hit those doldrums in the summer and you start to lag and you, whether or not you make the subs or whether or not you send the same starting 11 out there all the time and they can only give you 60 70 good minutes you build as much padding as you can between yourself and the teams below you um as far as Atlanta goes look you have Cincinnati coming up and this is this is a moment to if you're mad cool take it out in cincinnati cincinnati can score cincinnati also oh my god can they be scored upon and we will get into that this week mm-hmm. there is that um but it won't be easy look i, I think no, the, it won't the be biggest, easy but the biggest thing about this league is i think there's not as many easy games as there used to be um the league's always competitive, but you'd always have a couple of teams that, okay, yeah, their parody's a thing, but man, these guys don't manage things very well. Uh, Miami jumped up and, and bit New England this week. Cincinnati's had some results. Charlotte's had results. Uh, in the West, I mean, you know, Houston is, is showing that they can win at home. It's a tough league. And the points matter the same now as they do later but you do want to be playing your best later. You've got to accumulate points now, but you've also got to learn who you are, what works, what doesn't work, what you need maybe in the summer, 
And then when you get through that summer window, when you get to August, it needs to be full steam ahead. This is who we are. This is what our lineup is. This is what our team is. And this is what we do. You've got time to get there. Still learning, still getting points, still building. And for Atlanta, still getting people healthy. John, final thought before we go? Nope. A one-goal game can be one of two things. A one-nil game can be one of two things. It can be Austin and Minnesota, which was incredibly painful, or it can be what we saw yesterday at Bank of America, where you have two teams who are rivals going at each other for a full 90 minutes, and it was a, a very entertaining It was a very entertaining match that's going to be a part of this rivalry. As Jared says, one-goal games for these two matches this season. You've got to give both uh, – coaches a lot of credit for how they've been in their build because of all of the different elements that are around them this year. Miguel Angel Ramirez gets a lot of credit for everything that he has been put through to get to this point. And so does uh, Gonzalo Pineda with everything that he's had to deal with to get to this point. But once again, you have two teams right now north of the playoff bar in the east, and you had a 1-0 game that was decided on a moment, capital M, that was an Olympico. You learn from it, you move on. Cincinnati's coming up this weekend. Thanks, y'all. We'll have a soccer over there tonight, uh, barring me getting stuck in traffic. Um, we will have soccer over there tonight, 7.05. We'll get into all the other stuff. Um, good conversation, I thought. I hope it was good for people. Um, if I'm a sunshine pumper, yeah, guilty as charged. Uh, but I try to tell you why I see the sunshine as opposed to just saying sunshine. And I want people to do the same the other way, too. If you are not happy with something, explain it. Think about it. I, I do challenge people to think. And that's what I, I hope we can all start to do as we talk about the game and, and figure out what we like and don't like. And we're going to have differences. We're going to have differences about how we see a game. We're going to have differences about how we see tactics, how we see what's good, what's bad. That's normal. And that's good. And that's what this game creates and you see that in every great soccer country around the world and i hope we see more of that here rather than just negative toxic angry we need more than that we need thought and we're going to try to provoke thought anyway and whether we're right wrong or misleading or, or not properly sourced or whatever you want to say we're going to do our best to, to make you think in this show and we're going to think as well. And we will think a little bit more um, later today. Soccer over there. We'll talk about city and Liverpool. We'll talk about VAR in Argentina, which is an interesting whole thing that is insane. Um, we'll, we'll talk about uh, people running onto the field and throwing things onto the field like morons, because that happened again this weekend in multiple places. Uh, we'll talk about takeovers in the lower divisions in England, and we'll talk about Serie A, which is the best title race right now in the big leagues in Italy. And it seems like nobody wants to win the thing because people keep dropping points. We'll talk about all that tonight. Soccer over there. We'll make our picks of the week. Y'all have a good rest of the day. Mucha plata, y'all. Mucha plata, y'all. Mucha plata, y'all.